Hello, welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen. I'm back with Cameron Christensen. As always, uh, Matt and Tim are off for tonight doing who knows what. And uh, we've replaced Johnny with another expert in a different field. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Mick Merger. Or Michael, should I address you as formally, uh, Mick? Boy, I'll, I'll stick with Mick. That sounds good. <laughs> okay. I Mick McGurk. I have to laugh real quick because you just called Johnny an expert. Um, I haven't seen Johnny in like 15 years, but he wasn't <laughs> then, so I'm in. <laughs> he's a doctor now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're kidding me. No, he's a medical doctor. Uh, he's in residency in Tucson, actually. So. Wonderful. I'll have to connect with him. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he uh, walked us through seizures last week in our last podcast, and so... This week, Mick is going to talk with us a little bit about copyright and licensing and stuff like that. So let me give you a little bit of background on Mick. And Mick, if I forget anything important, you can go ahead and fill us in. So Mick uh, and I were uh, the, the most important part, obviously, is that Mick and I were college roommates. Uh, we did some church service together as well. So um, for better or worse, we were together for quite a while in our early 20s. Um, and uh, Mick went on to uh, do uh, law school at Georgetown and graduated there, got his, uh, got, uh, passed the bar in Arizona, and I believe started his own law firm. It's uh, Focus Law, right, Mick? Correct, yep. I practiced for a few other firms throughout the first uh, seven or eight years, and then three years ago started Focus Law. Awesome. And what what is Focus Law focus on? So uh, primarily focused on um, small to mid-sized businesses, kind of emerging businesses, folks who are looking to grow and and move forward. We try to be kind of strategic in our um, in our representation of people. We're not looking for folks who are just looking to kind of stay stagnant. We're looking for folks who are um, on the upswing. And because of that, we are a law firm. Um, you know, we do everything from entity formation um, right on through to uh, litigation, M&A work, um, but really kind of focused primarily on um, on small to mid-sized growing businesses that's that's where we want to be and our relationship is a little different with with our clients than your typical law firm because we end up kind of being part of the trusted team and, and doing that and as part of that whole process we do some some copyright and trademark work so so forgive my lack of expertise which is kind of what the whole podcast is about but when you have your law license your practice to to your, your whatever it is, your your law, to, I don't know what it's called. You passed the, the bar in Arizona, but you can do uh, business with companies in all across the world. Or are they just businesses based in Arizona? Um, so you're really primarily bound to practice law wherever you happen to be licensed. Um, I'm personally licensed in Arizona. Um, we also have a couple attorneys in the firm who are licensed in California as well. So we practice throughout Arizona and California. Um, and then we also have clients who have a presence in Arizona or California and have work in other states. And so to some limited extent, um, we, you know, deal with matters kind of throughout the United States. And when necessary, we have local counsel in those other states who's a, who are able to step in in the role of the licensed attorney in that state when necessary. OK, interesting. Things I did not know. So let's add it to the long list. Um Okay, let's. Uh, did I forget any other important things? I guess very importantly, you played golf in college, so that's important. I did that, yep, yeah, and I'm still um, a lot better at golf than you. So, <laughs> well, that's that's most people and some small children. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take much. 
<laughs> no, I think some animals probably could outperform me. Um, trained monkey for sure. So. I- put money on my dog and he's never smoked. <laughs> he wouldn't need to. Yeah. Uh right. Okay. So uh that's my golf game. Um all right. So I think those uh, cover the important uh, st- uh the, the parts of mixed career uh, or not. But um all right, let's start with uh, some questions about. So I guess the 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 impetus the, the idea behind this podcast here is a lot of people out there either have for example, a podcast or have their own YouTube channel or want to start their own business or and they have a lot of questions about, you know, st- what to do to start. Like, you know, if you're starting a YouTube channel, you need some music, you need an, an image, you need some artwork. And what, what can you use out there? What's available? So um, as far as like, let's, I guess, take a YouTube video, for example, you know, if, if people are using clips um, from uh, I, just give us a little bit of background. Give me any idea of uh, of what uh, what's legal, what's not legal, as far as you know what uh, copyright laws allow. Sure. So let's start super high level and just kind of work through definitions and where all this stuff is rooted in the law and in U.S. history. Okay. So big, big, broad net is intellectual property. Intellectual property is more or less. Anything that you put your thought and effort and time and mind into to create something, it covers all the different areas, copyrights, trademarks, patents. It goes over all those things. And we'll talk a little bit about what the difference between those things are further along. But that's the broad field. Intellectual property is kind of covering everything that is generated by the mind. Okay. If we go then from intellectual property, let's talk about copyright. Well, copyright is founded in the U.S. Constitution. Um, Article 1, Section 8, I believe, provides more or less that Congress shall have the power to uh, promote the progress of science and, and arts by securing to the authors and their inventors the right to their respective writings and discoveries. What it really looks like is even in the Constitution, they said, let's make sure that people have a reason to to be ingenuitous. That's not the right word for it, but but to exercise their mental faculties to create something great. Was so, this, so was was copyright infringement and, tr- and trademark issues were those, those pre pre exist? I guess the American Constitution. Then did they already know that this was an issue? Actually, dates way back into uh, the British system. Um, it was already clear at that point they said okay we need to make sure there's an interest in people generating valuable things for society and so we want to give them a right over those things basically look if i put all my time into creating something cool and then the second that i do that you can take it and market it there's no real incentive for me to keep creating cool things because i don't get to enjoy the monetary benefit of what i've done does that make sense yep and that's what they said back in the constitution article 1 section 8 Um, And then it was codified in Title 17 of the U.S. Code. So what it really means is the author or creator of a work has the right to control the use of the work for a limited period of time once the work is, and the, the, the important term is, once the work is fixed in a tangible medium of expression. Why? Well, they wanted to protect the the work, but also to create uh, or to encourage creativity and ingenuity. Um, it affixes a value to creation. Basically, it says, okay, if you are, if you've got a good mind, you can now profit from the things you generate by your mind without having to worry about somebody else taking that. Um, real quick, then, just 
you know, dirty details. How long is a copyright? A copyright is the life of the author or creator of the work plus 70 years or in some like non-individual instances or instances where it's a work for hire, it's 95 years from publication or 120 years from the creation of the work, whichever of those two is shorter. And and then after that, it goes into what's called public domain. Is that right? Exactly. So after that, you can use whatever you want. That's why, you know, you can you can rip off a version of Moby Dick because it's been, you know, out there for so long. But, um, you know, you can't do it with a John Grisham novel. All right. So that's also if you, you know if you if you are into audiobooks and whatnot, there's always free audiobooks and they're always the old books. The reason for that is they've already exceeded at 70 years after the after the life of the author. Whereas in order to get you know the newest latest books, you have to be on something like Scribd or or one of those that um, you know you pay a, a decent amount per month in order to be able to access those books. Okay, so does that apply then across so like uh, you know photography or something like that? Absolutely. Um, as soon okay. as you, as soon as you've created something, um, then your intellectual rights attached to that thing, um, it's copyright. So let's go into a little bit of the mechanics of what is it and and what are we talking about, um, Carl? I think one of the things that you probably are wondering is, do I need to copyright my own stuff? So right. you know, what do I need to do with that? Well, the term copyright really just attaches to anything that's created and put out there into a fixed medium. So the copyright exists automatically once it once it's once the work is in that fixed medium. There's a second step though, which is the registration of the copyright that can bolster your interest in it. So um, look, if you take a, a really cool picture, Carl, um, and you, you know, post it out there somewhere and you say, here's this cool picture and you you know, you, you maybe sell a few copies of it or whatever have you, somebody else can't then take that picture and reallocate it to something that they're doing. That is your copyrighted interest. Back in the day before 1989, you actually had to put a notice of copyright on something and say, hey, this is copyrighted. It's my interest. You can't do anything with it um, or else, you know, people could just pick it up and, and do with it what they wished. But in 1989, um, federal government said, you know what, we want to expand that copyright interest. And so they said, you don't even have to put a notice of copyright on anything anymore. You can just go ahead. And if you created it, it's in a fixed medium, then it's yours and you have an interest in it. Now, obviously you have to enforce that interest. Um, and, you know, it, it's not worth much if you don't do anything with it. But once you've created something, whatever it happens to be, um, and really kind of the list of what those things are. Do you want to go through that and kind of talk about what is copyrightable? Is that something that you, you want to discuss or no real interest in that? Yeah, I think, I, sure, let's go for it. Sure, okay. Um, let's see. Uh, obviously, sound recordings. Um, oh, well, I have a question about that before we continue, actually. And this this might take us on a tangent, so we could hit, hit it back again later. But so like... Uh, songs for example uh, you know people cover songs a lot right uh, so uh, the the original author of the song uh or, or the original band that performs or whatever then uh other bands cover them what is, i've never been in a band before and i don't know what the process is there it, do they have to ask for permission before they can cover a song or what's they, do, do you, yeah and we'll get into the licensing issues a little bit later there's okay. actually 
there's actually a whole bunch of liability that stacks up as soon as somebody is covering a song. There's not just liability for the band if they haven't gotten the license, but also for the venue that's allowing them to play that. We can talk about that. It's pretty, it's an interesting little thing that happens to several of my clients that have bars or venues where people come to and they have music playing. There's liability just in having that music playing if you haven't gone the, the correct steps to um, preserve a license for you to be able to share the music. So okay. yeah, good question. Yeah. But cover bands are are a, are, are a substantial problem um, if not. Um, done properly. So songs, music, um, all that sort of thing. Also performing arts, um, you know, probably didn't think too much about the idea of like copywriting a dance, but, um, you know, teaching somebody how to Dougie has some legal liability that attaches to it. I don't know if you remember that song, but uh, not something that you can just, um, you know, perform in a way that is going to derive profit for you because most likely that dance move itself was actually copyrighted because as soon as I don't even know who sang teach me how to Dougie but as soon as he realized how valuable that dance move was if he was smart if he had a good attorney around that attorney was like let's you know let's register this copyright copyright exists as soon as he did it but then let's register this copyright so we can make sure that you are are able to derive all the profits from it so okay so another another question about that then I guess so the um, uh, there uh, there have to be some minimum standards for how complex something is to copyright it, right? Like I can't copyright copyright a word, can I? Correct. No, it does have to be um, something that requires and and that there's apparent value in from a creative perspective. Um, okay. So trying to copyright a word isn't going to work. We can talk a little bit later, or we can talk about it now. Let's just do it now. Let's get out of the way. Trademark versus copyright. Yeah. Uh, Carl, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is just do it. Is that trademark or copyright? Uh, I'm going to guess trademark. Why are you guessing that? Um, I don't know. Dark? Yeah, no, this, that, that's great. Um, so trademark is the identifier of a brand, right? So it is a, a brand name. It is a slogan, a motto, a logo, the Nike swoosh, all those things. Those are all trademark because they identify the business. Copyright protects a creative work, a sound recording, an image, a work of art, performing arts. So the difference is, if if you think about something, are you trying to identify what the business is? And if you're trying to identify a business or a group or something like that, it's going to be on the trademark side. If you are trying to protect a creative work, then it's going to be on the other side. Now, you ask about com- the, the complexity necessary in order to create a copyright. Well, a copyright, when you apply for a copyright, it goes to the USPTO office or the copyright. I can't remember who the actual administrative body is that reviews them. Um, I know that's copyright.gov is where you're able to do all the applications. But um, in any case, It goes to them and somebody's going to look at it and say, is there actually a copyrightable interest here? Um, Before you even get started on it, you should probably look and see, has somebody else copyrighted this identical thing first? Because you can't double up on the copyright interest. But when you're getting into the process of doing what we were discussing, the registration, you want to look and see, okay, are there other things that are identical to this that have been protected? And is there actually some protectable interest here? I don't know if you've seen any of the uh man i'm trying to think of what it was i believe 
was it LeBron James and his goofy Taco Tuesday thing? Do you, do you see any of that? Talk? Okay, that does sound familiar. Yeah. yeah. So I don't recall whether it was a, and I'm trying to think now which one he would even try to qualify that as. Um, uh, clearly, he is not the inventor of the phrase Taco Tuesday. Okay. Um, but I think that he was trying to attach it somehow to. Um, he obviously wanted to make money off of people saying Taco Tuesday. And so he tried to create either a trademark or a copyright interest there. That's an interesting one to think about because it's not really a creative – it's not a, a work of creation, right? He didn't create it or anything right. else. So I'm guessing it has something to do with his brand and him wanting to attach Taco Tuesday to his brand. Maybe it's the way that he was saying it or the colors that it was written in, something to that effect. That would make more sense as a trademark. Um you know, like we talked about, you know, just do it. Um, boy, what are some car trademarks that you can think of? I'm trying to think of some myself. It's the Dodge like, Ram. Dodge Ram. Yeah. Chevy had like a rock. If you remember that. Oh, right. America. Um, those are trademarks that they're attaching to them. Um, whereas, you know, a, a song or a poem would be something that would be copyrightable versus just that identifier for a brand. So it, it sounds um, to me like the work to get something trademarked or copyrighted probably goes beyond the the ability of a general layman, right? So would I I need to get legal help in, in actually filling out the, if I want to go through the steps of copywriting something? So yes or no, it depends on how, um, how lay of a layman you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, realistically, I think that most folks could get onto copyright.gov and kind of go through the basic filing. Copyright.gov is actually going to be a little simpler to me than going through the process of getting a trademark done. The trademark requires that you, um, frankly, a trademark is just awfully annoying because once you have, once you've spelled out, okay, look, I just want to trademark this name. Say you, um, man, I, I was dealing with a rapper recently and they wanted to set up a record label and a, and, and, and a rapper name. And so they want to protect those things. And the amount of layers that you have to go through to protect the trademark, you don't want to just protect your trademark in entertainment industry, but you also want to protect your trademark for use in the generating of, you know, merchandise, hats, t-shirts, all those other things, right? And so in the process of registering a trademark, you have to be able to know kind of what all the areas are that you want to protect it in. Because if you only protect it, say you're, say you're a rapper and you only protect your rap name with regards to you know studio recording well somebody else then could use your identical rap name for live performance and you wouldn't have an interest in protecting against their use as a live performer because you only protect it as a studio recording artist does that make sense i i mean i guess uh, the way you explained it makes sense it's it from from a lay man, a layman like myself, that sounds like something I I need legal counsel in order to like understand how, right. what. I to finish up my thought there, for trademarking, I think trademarking probably uh, requires a bit more expertise and and okay. insight than does copywriting. Copywriting, um, first of all, like we talked about, first copyright is. is attaches immediately to a creative work. So the second that you publish your creative work or put your creative work into a fixed medium, the copyright already exists. So you don't have to go out and register your copyright right away. 
which is the process of going on to copyright.gov and filling in their, their forms and whatnot. Registering a copyright is actually pretty simple. What you do is you go on there, you give them a pretty good description of what it is that you're trying to copyright. So, you know, you explain, look, I created an album, um, you know, a, a song album or a, a recording album, and it's called, you know, uh, a bunch of symbols by Led Zeppelin. Right. And so you now have this album and you actually submit to them a, a copy of the album that they're going to keep on file so that they have all the music and everything else that's in there. And so if somebody else comes along and tries to record or tries to copyright an interest in a Led Zeppelin song, they're able to go back and say, okay, well, look, we already have this band in here called Led Zeppelin. And boy, that song sounds the same. They're going to compare the two and say, yeah, we're not going to grant you this copyright. Um, or if somebody then, um, you know, goes to add a Led Zeppelin song to their podcast, Led Zeppelin, if they hear it, can say, hey, hold on a second. We have a copyright to that. You can't use it. And they can prevent that infringement. So copywriting is a little simpler. It's also pretty cheap, whereas with um, trademarking, you can end up just in filing fees to the patent and trade office. You can end up several thousand dollars in because you pay for each market segment that you're trying to protect it in. With a copyright, I believe the basic filing fee starts at like $45, and they've made the the application, the online application, fairly user-friendly and straightforward. If you can describe what it is that you created and why it's unique and why there was creative faculty in it, and you can submit to them an actual copy of what it is that you're trying to protect, you're probably going to have some success in getting your copyright protected. So copywriting, a little easier. Trademarking, a bit more difficult. So the the amount that you said, so for example, in, in a podcast, if I were to uh, play a song, uh, any any portion of that song is already is also copyrighted, right? Like I couldn't just play a five second clip, or what? What are the laws you're, about that? You're 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 right on that. So um, there, as far as looking at infringement goes and the extent of the infringement, they're going to look at it and say, okay, well, did you just use a tiny segment of it? And is that really going to the thrust of the work, the work itself? Um, and if you only used a small segment of it and it was hard to even identify what song it was coming from, the infringement liability for you might be a bit more limited. But overall, if somebody has a copyright interest in a whole song, they have a copyright interest also in every segment of that song. It, it, the entirety of it is theirs. Um, so... Real quick, then let's jump to something like YouTube. Say you want to go on YouTube. You want to have an introduction music to the video that you're doing. Um, YouTube is kind of cool. It's an easy example because YouTube actually has this um, music policy that if you go in, you're creating a video and you say, okay, look, I want to use um, Ramble On by Led Zeppelin as part of my video. You can type in Ramble On by Led Zeppelin and the YouTube music policy will tell you what license is available for you to be able to use that in your video across the board the second that you use any copyrighted product and especially music on youtube the second that they recognize that you've used a song that has the copyright interest no matter if there's a license that exists for it or not you cannot monetize that video to you without a license from the individual to use it in your video okay so Something to find is don't start throwing a bunch of songs into YouTube videos because if you're intending to monetize the channel, because 
those videos will not be modifiable for for the user or for for the, for the creator. Um, I did. I had a r- related question, Cameron. Did you were you going to say something as well? Well, yeah, I was going to say I think Vanilla Ice ran into uh, one of that issue with one of his songs that um, people say he blatantly stole from another band, but I think he had like one note different in it, and that's how he got away with. So interestingly, yeah, first of all, I don't think Vanilla Ice took his own advice and stopped, collaborated, and listened. Um, (laughs) But um, the issue, and you see that pop up all the time. I think there's uh, some newer, I I know he's like a redheaded younger recording artist from maybe Great Britain or something like that, or England, who has run to, I can't remember what his name is, but he's got some real popular songs. Um, Yeah, if you... And this is where it goes into, okay, to what extent did you use this other person's music? Um, You'll hear a lot of times where the same beat is used in a different song. Oftentimes what they've done is they've gone to the original recording artist and said, hey, can we, you know, use that segment of your song in this new one? And the original recording artist will grant a license to them saying, sure, you can. And you can use it for these purposes. And guess what? You're going to compensate us for your use of our music in it. If you just take that beat or if you, um, you know, piggyback off of the creative interest of that original artist and put it in yours without any license. Yeah. Um, Vanilla Ice probably ran into a bit. I'm trying to think what song it was. I think it was Under Pressure um, was the song that he ripped from, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, if he didn't have a license to that, it sounded very similar and you run the risk of being tied up. Now we're talking about creative juices, right? And so if he can show, Hey, look, I've never heard, which is hard to imagine. If he can say, I never heard under pressure before when I was doing ice, ice baby. And he can actually prove that then he could probably rely on the fact that he didn't violate that copyright. And he just happened to come to something very similar by means of his own creative interest. Yeah, that's a question for me as well, because, uh, you know, and I'm sure in the music industry, especially with thousands of bands, people recording all the time now, you're going to get songs that sound very similar. I mean, there's, there's a uh, a song about how all the songs have the same chord structure, right? Um, and so what, I don't know, uh, maybe this is for delving too deep into the question of what lawyers do in order to fight copyright laws, but you know, if if I have the same chord structures, but the slightly different beat and different words, is that copyright infringement? Or, you know, at what point am I, uh, am I too close? Boy, it really comes down to how you can explain how you came to what it is. Um, okay. It, so one thing that's important is there are ways to use somebody's copyrighted interest that don't violate the copy, you know, that, that don't put you in, having any liability for that violation. Let's cover those real quick. And then we can kind of circle back to how close can I get without actually getting in trouble? Because first of all, it might be worth us covering what are the actual exceptions that exist. Um, So if we're just going to jump into exceptions, three exceptions are fair use, face-to-face instruction, or virtual instruction. The latter two kind of are self-explanatory to a great extent. This is how you know, universities are able to get away with playing music, you know, and as part of a lesson or, um, you know, using modern poems to discuss things because it's in, it's for an instructive purpose. But if we just jump into the actual fair use exception, we can talk about what 
what it is and how you can get around violating a copyright um, by using that exception. So there's four factors that lean that you can lean on when you're discussing whether or not your use of a creative work qualifies for the fair use exception. First of all, the purpose and the character of the use. If you're using a copyrighted a copyrighted work, some protected work for a nonprofit use, for educational purposes, or for personal purposes, there's a good chance that you fall on the side of not needing the permission of the creator in order to use it. Um, so, uh, you know, if you are playing music at a charity fun run um, to benefit, you know, and, and while you're playing the music, you're also discussing the value of the chord progressions of different songs to a bunch of kids who are learning about music. Um, you're, there's a good chance that you fall on the side of, I don't need the permission of the original creator in order to use this music. If you are playing that music, okay, so let's talk about like a bar who has a radio playing and there's, there are songs that are being played on the radio. Now the radio has a license to play those songs, presumably, because they're broadcasting it over, you know, regulated airwaves. But as soon as it gets piped into that bar and people are listening to it in the bar, the bar is profiting from the fact that they're using that creator's work of art. Don't you agree? Yeah. So what happens is um, a bar who has music playing over the radio, it happens all the time where these different um, entertainers groups will send a letter to a bar and say, hey, we're guessing that you are playing the radio in your bar. And if you are, you need to pay our, you know, $5,000 a year subscription, um, which enables you to play our, our artists music. And if you don't do it, then we're going to come after you. And a lot of times bars, especially smaller bars are like, man, that can't be a real thing. And just ignore it. And then all of a sudden somebody shows up at the bar and, you know, records, you know, has, has a phone out and looks like they're just recording, you know, what's going on. And they're recording the fact that music is playing and that bar gets slapped with a copyright infringement lawsuit um, mm. because they're playing that music. So if you own a bar or if you own a restaurant or somewhere else or even a, an office space and you have music playing and you get contacted by one of these agencies, you should pay attention to it because there is you are actually using somebody else's protected work in order to profit for yourself. So I do have a, another question along those lines, I think is I know that uh, there, I've heard of people getting cease and desist letters. Is that like the, is that like a courtesy? Can you go straight from, Hey, I found out that this bar is playing music, uh, my music and I, I want to sue them. Or is, is a cease and desist letter like the first step towards a lawsuit? Uh, cease and desist letter is the first step towards a lawsuit. Really, as long as you have violated um, the the copyright, there's a right to you know bring an injunctive action or to seek damages. But that cease and desist letter is kind of the first shot that goes out to say, hey, cut it out or else you're gonna have a problem. So okay. lawyers send a lot of cease and desist letters for a lot of different reasons. I'm sure. The first one was the, the first factor in the fair use analysis was purpose and character. Okay, if you're using it to profit, you're probably going to need permission of the creator. If you're using it for entertainment versus education, the entertainment side, you're probably going to need uh, the, the permission, the license. Or if you're using it for commercial purposes, not personal purposes, you probably need the license. Second one is the nature of the work. If the work, if the protective work is very factual, it's just a regurgitation of actual facts versus 
a creation of fiction, fiction is going to need permission. The reuse of facts probably is going to qualify for fair use. So kind of looking at what is the actual nature of the work that they're seeking to protect. If you can say, look, you know, you spit out a bunch of statistics that are easy to calculate, you know, NBA statistics, shooting percentages, points per game, all those things, and I regurgitated those somewhere else, well, those are facts, not fiction, and so it's probably easier for me to say, yeah, it's fair use, whereas if you, you know, create a, a beautiful work discussing, you know, the intricacies of a basketball team, and it's, you know, you write it as a book, then you're probably including a lot more of the creative faculty, and so you're going to end up on the side of, of not being fair use and being uh, requiring the permission. So run- go ahead. So if my podcast, for example, uh, might have at one point read the Newton, uh, the laws of physics, essentially verbatim, obviously that's now public domain, but if it hadn't been and Mr. Newton had come uh, knocking, that would have not, that would have qualified for fair use because those were factual, right? It will. So yes, that's one big factor that's going to lean in your favor. The other one is that you're using it for educational purposes. Your podcast, you're pretty open about the fact that the purpose is to educate other people. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kind of working our way into the other factors just based on that. Um, One of the factors is the market effect. What impact would the use have on the marketability of the work? Well, guess what? Newton, like, doesn't really have, like, this corner on the market um, for, you know, the effect and so he probably wouldn't have a ton of interest in protecting it as soon as it's discovered everyone else kind of like well duh like okay that's the <laughs> law of nature right, right. Um, so if now now say that i you know came up with a really cool logo and you wanted to use it and well a logo but probably isn't the best could have you a trademark but let's talk about if i created um you know a really interesting um like an escape room, you know, say, say I created an escape room where there's a cool story behind it. Well, even though, you know, it might not fit the other factors, as soon as you take that escape room concept and go somewhere else and do the exact same story, then my marketability, the, the, the ability that I have to charge a premium for people to come and use my cool story in that escape room goes down because now there's two of them and people can go somewhere else and supply and demand there's, you know, more supply. And so my, my value is going to go down. So that would be kind of a way to weigh out the factor. Okay. If you're going to drive down the value of my creative work by using it, then you probably need to ask my permission first, rather than just being able to qualify for fair use. The last one is the amount, the amount of the work that's used. If you're using a large amount, favors asking my permission. If you're using a small amount, you get to fall a little more on the other side. But remember, it's still these all these factors have to work together. So even if you're using a tiny amount of my work, but you're using it for commercial purposes, um, you know, my work is a very creative based work, then you probably even though you only use a tiny amount, you're probably still going to need to ask me permission. So those fair use factors, there's ways to get around having to use a copyright, but you better make sure that you qualify for them and that you can actually articulate that, look, before I started using this creative work, I went through these factors and I figured out why it qualifies for it. Make sense? It does. The uh, the question of, of, of obtaining licenses, you mentioned how kind of YouTube 
uh, automates that a bit for you. But if I'm a, I'm a restaurant owner, I'm a bar owner, whatever other scenarios we could come up with here, and I know I need a license, but I don't know how to acquire one. Is that is that where I'd contact a lawyer? Are there uh, are there particular websites that that help me acquire licenses? Or? Sure. So at a very high level, if we're talking about bars and and whatnot. Because there are so many bars and because it's such a simple practice to, you know, every bar has music playing in it. If you're a bar owner and you Google, how do I get a license to play music in my bar? You're going to find it really easily. And these associations or these guilds make it real easy for you to to obtain the license. They charge you, you know, a fair amount, but they make it real simple. If you want to go to the discussion, though, of how do I obtain a license, say you want to use a song um, to open your podcast and, you know, yeah. Carl, you love red hot chili peppers, right? Yeah. You want to use a red hot chili pepper song to open your podcast. You're like, all right, I want to use Californication. In that instance, there's not really an easy, okay, well, you know, I can just buy this, you know, package from this guild and use it in this because it's kind of a unique use of it and, and whatnot. So what you would do is, Almost all recorded, you know, good sound recordings as far as, you know, CDs and whatnot have a lot of the copyright information in it. It, it gives you a pretty easy place to look to reach out to whomever it is that represents the Red Hot Chili Peppers and for you to say, hey, we'd like to use your song at the beginning of our podcast. What process do we need to go to? And most likely they're going to say, you know what, we have a package for that. If you want to use a song, it's five hundred dollars you know, per month or per episode or whatever their, whatever their number is. And they're going to send you over a license that says you have this limited use license. It's not exclusive. So you can think through where exclusive versus not exclusive and licensing would be important. If I create a cool song and you say, man, I like that song. I want that song to be mine and I get to be the one to use it. And I give you an exclusive license. Well, now you get to use that song as if it was your own and I don't get to use it anymore. But if I say, um, hey, you know, uh, or if you reach out to me and say, hey, Mick, I want to use that cool song at the beginning of my of my podcast. And I say, sure thing. You can go ahead and use it for that purpose. And we sign a, a licensing agreement. It's probably going to be a non-exclusive um, license and you're going to be able to use it. Uh, but I can also license that to anybody else who also wants to use it. So. Uh, you can imagine the compensation scale there would differ a lot, whether you're getting all of the interest in being able to use it and you can exclude other people from using it, or if you're just using it as another user and you're trying to make sure that you don't step on the toes of the creator. Make sense? Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. so, um, and then the licensing process, man, it sounds like this big complex thing, but realistically, a lot of times the contracts are one page and it says, you know, I... Lincoln Park, Grant Carl, permission to use this song um, at the baptism of his child. Good to go. Red Hot Chili Peppers at the baptismal service, you think? I That's... gave you Lincoln Park for your baptismal service. But... Oh, right. Sorry. I... <laughs> <laughs> good good choice. That's uh, uh, great. Okay. I've got two questions. I don't know where you wanted to go from here, but I've got two other questions. that. Um... Okay. So one is I've heard the term derivative work. Um before is that uh, is there a legal definition for derivative where generally the idea that i take something and then i add to it is that take something and you alter it um so really the concept there is 
it's a work involving the alteration of the original work to create something subsequent. Um, easiest thing I can I can explain is say there's you know say the movie Titanic comes out and I want to do a a running critique of the movie Titanic and so I have a recording of the movie Titanic and then I have a voiceover where I say boy they're really dumb they should have seen that iceberg coming and everybody laughs at the fact that I said that right and yeah. or or um, you know boy everybody should be up on in lawn chairs because you're all going to die anyway you know we could go through that whole process and and I could create a derivative work. So going back to what a copyright is, as soon as you own a copyright, one of the rights that you own to it, you own the right to sell it, to copy it, to do whatever you want with it. And one of those rights is you own the right, the exclusive right to create derivative works from it. So if I write a great movie and you want to create a derivative work, you can't just go out and chop up my movie and put segments of it in your critique of my movie. You have to reach out to me and say, Mick, I would like to do a derivative work of your movie. Do I have your permission to? Same thing with the song. Um, also, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, sampling from a song and, 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 you know, remixing it and everything else. You should be getting the permission of the original artist before you start tweaking or changing or adding to um, their work. Um, even down to say there's a famous painting that's, you know, been done in the last few years and you want to go and add, you know, Barbie riding on this famous painting of a whale. Well, as soon as you put Barbie on there, you've just altered the work that exists. So you needed their permission in the first place to use their image, to add to it, to make whatever it is that you want to make. There's a really interesting little wrinkle there. Do you want me to dive into it for one second? That might be kind of fun for you guys to think about. Yeah. Or, or am I geeking out too much for you right now? No, no, it's great. Uh, all right, that, so I can make fun of something and then claim it as my own intellectual property. So you, if the question is, can you make fun of something? You know, can you uh, record it, over the thing with fun of it and make it your own intellectual property? No, you need permission for that. But you can say, hey, I saw this movie. Here's kind of what happened, and it was really dumb. That is your own, you know, your own creation. You know, that, and that's why comedians can get away with making fun of whatever they want, even though they're talking about, you know, maybe copyrighted things. They're making fun of a movie and they're going on and on about this movie. Well, they're not reproducing the movie. They're just discussing it. And there's no copyrightable interest in the discussion of something unless you're actually reusing the, the work itself. Okay, so to, to geek out real quick on derivative works. So suppose that, Carl, you write a great song, and I say, okay, I want to do a remix of your song. Will you grant me a license to create a derivative work of the song that you wrote? You say, sure thing, go for it. So I get to work on creating my derivative work. I'm remixing, you know, whatever song it is that you wrote, and you then revoke the license that you gave me. You say, okay, you no longer have the right to, to that, but I've already created. And remember, copyright occurs when you publish it into a fixed medium. So as soon as I have, have gotten my derivative work to some final state, you revoke your license. Because I created that derivative work, 
I get to keep and I have a, a copyrightable interest in that work now. You don't get to say, okay, well, you created your derivative work and now I get to take that derivative work back. No, I actually have a copyrightable interest in that song to the extent that I created a derivative work over it. So now that I have that, I could continue reusing my initial derivative work to, to alter it further away from what you are doing or further in a different direction of what you originally created and keep using it despite the fact that I don't actually have it, uh, a license anymore to your original work. Once I have created a derivative work, I get to be the one that continues to control the outcome of that. So maybe the easiest way to explain that would be, say you wrote a book, you came to me or I came to you and said, hey, I'd like to make a movie about your book. You grant me a license and I say, okay, cool, I'm making it. You don't get to then, unless you carve this out very well in your initial license, you don't then get to go through and say, okay, Mick, I get to take away the dialogue that I created from my, you know, in my book from your movie if you don't like it anymore. You can revoke that license, but to the extent that I've created the a derivative work from your work, I now own the copyright to that derivative work. Your geek out was very uh, prophetic. It was exactly where I actually was going to ask you about next was uh, revoking licenses and stuff like that. So cool. Well, good, good there stuff. you go. I um, guess that means I'm a geek. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I get well. Yeah, yeah. No, no new news here. So yeah. Um, so should we be way careful when granting license because of that? Uh, as far as granting license to derivative work, yes. My recommendation is, okay, there, there are different types of licenses that you're going to be granting. If you're granting license to use something, there are some really simple places. If somebody says, hey, can I replay your podcast you know, or, or, or rebroadcast your podcast um, to my followers? And you say, yes, I'm granting your license to rebroadcast our podcast with all, without alterations to your followers. Well, guess what? That's fine. They don't now own any interest in your copyright. Remember, there's a difference between owning an interest in it and just having a license to use it. The derivative license, you're actually giving them the right to create something using what you have, and they then own that whatever it is they create from it. So just granting a license to rebroadcast or to use something like that, not a big deal. You can go ahead and do it. And you can revoke that at a later date. That's fine. That's one of the interesting things we, we can talk about with as far as those YouTube licenses goes. The YouTube licenses, say you go onto YouTube's uh, music policy list. You find that, okay, we can put Californication in our, in our video. You put it up there. California, or Red Hot Chili Peppers then have the right to alter that license at any point in the future. And if they do, you then have to take it out of your video, even though at one point you had the right to use it. So granting licenses, pretty simple. Granting license for derivative work, which has to be you know, done in a specific manner, you want to be a little more careful with it because you don't want somebody basically being able to tweak your work slightly and then have the ability to reuse it however they want going forward. That makes sense. I, I have heard, so I, I listen to podcasts as well. And I, I was listening to an ESPN. I've listened to multiple ESPN-related podcasts where the, it's clear that in studio, because these ESPN podcasts are like simulcast on radio, and then they make a podcast out of them as well. 
and they they omit the music from the podcasts. So they'll be talking about a song that they're listening to and you can't hear it on the podcast. I assume that has something to do with the license that they have. There's a good chance it's probably that the license is limited just to being able to use it for that live broadcast, but not for other purposes. Right. So um, as far as the granting of licenses goes, um, look, your your copyright exists on its own. So you don't really need an attorney involved on that side. Um, but as far as the granting of licenses goes, it's a good place to at least consult with an attorney and say, hey, is there any risk in us doing this? Because you don't want to accidentally grant a derivative license when you meant to just grant a license to be able to rebroadcast and then lose your real corner in the product that you created. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, um, we have so we got a bit of a, a worldwide listener base. Uh, we actually have a fair amount of Australian and, and uh, British uh, listeners. Um, obviously not in your wheelhouse, but do you know how different copyright law is uh, in those areas? Uh, frankly, copyright law, there are definite differences across the world. And some in some instances, it's very substantial. You'll see that if you go on YouTube and you're going to add um, a song to your video, you'll see actually that oftentimes it comes up. I'm trying to think of what the two New Zealand is one. I don't know if it's Australia is the other or what other island it is. But oftentimes, even if you're allowed to use a song in your video in the rest of the world, there's these two South Pacific islands or island groups, countries that will pop up and you can't use them. And so your video will actually be blocked in that country because their copyright laws were different just enough that there was no right there for you to be able to broadcast the video using that song. So they de the laws definitely do differ depending on what country you're in but there is especially in uh first world countries the concept remains the same across each of those countries you know they want to protect the interests of creativity and ingenuity and so they're going to try to kind of keep it uniform in the sense that they want to make sure that you have a protected right in it the the length of those copyrights or the might differ um, but in general, there's going to be kind of a similar protection. Cool. Good to know. Um, I think, oh, I did have, well, the, this one I think more has to do with uh, some, uh, I hear sometimes in, in once again, podcasts on the radio or, or something, they'll say, or if they play a clip on TV and they'll say that was courtesy of such and such a station or all rights are owned by so-and-so. Uh, this is, what kind of license is that, is that the kind of license that they get or I don't I don't know what that is. Yeah. So oftentimes those attributions are something that's required as part of the license that's granted. Um, there's also just kind of this, you know, it's it's a best practice. You know, you want to give credit to whoever it is. I know that, you know, at the beginning of I think it's the Bill Simmons podcast. He always plays the same song and he says, well, that was Pearl Jam. I think it was. And, you know, brought to us by just the fact that you're, you know, crediting back is kind of a polite thing to do, but also in many licenses, you are required to actually credit to the creator um, the work. There are other licenses, um, you know, especially with images now, it's real easy if you are creating photography or whatever else. If you ever go online and you look for stock photos, there are different websites that have their own licenses built in. They say, you can use this as long as you, um, you know, give an attribution or, you know, credit to the creator. 
there are others where there's kind of put out and they say, hey, you know what? You don't need to credit them. You don't need any license to use this picture or anything else. But, you know, this is who did it. And so they're hoping that by you enjoying using their stock photos, they might gain some traction. You might reach back out to them. But that's one big thing. Everybody on here, if you have websites, if you have your own business and you're putting, you know, pictures in places, whatever happens to be, you should be paying attention to where it is that you're getting your pictures and whether or not there might be a license required. Even if you just find a picture on Google and you say, man, that's a beautiful picture of San Diego. I want to hang it on my wall or I want to put it on my website. Even if there's no artist listed there as to, or no photographer listed as to who created it, it's your obligation to figure out who created it and to ask permission in order to be able to do it. Otherwise, you run the risk of being hit with copyright strike. Or on YouTube, you run the risk of, you know, sorry, you run the risk of being a copyright infringement. On YouTube, you run the risk of getting hit with the copyright strike, which can, you know, damage your channel and, and that sort of thing. So it's the obligation of the user to figure out who it is they need to ask for permission in order to use it. Good to know. Well, so one more question for me before I ask if Cameron and Tim, who's joined us now, also have any questions. But the so I know uh, you said that your your law firm focuses on small to mid-sized businesses um, and helps them in lots of different ways. I, I'd imagine this type of stuff among those. Um, a lot of YouTube channels, a lot of uh, podcasts are kind of created in a very small environment. You know, either an individual who's just trying to um, you know, get a side gig going or something like that, essentially not making a lot of money off of it. Um, lawyers cost a lot of money. <laughs> Is there like a way to uh, like kind of a pay per need? Um, uh, what's the business model that someone like I can, I'm not making any money off this podcast, just so very clear. So, uh, uh, but for those that are trying to monetize, um, what, options do I have to require legal services with a pretty limited budget? Sure. Um, so first of all, look, internet lawyering is a bad move, right? Like don't think that you're a lawyer just because you read on the internet that you can do this or that. But on a small scale, as you're getting started, if the budget is very limited, my recommendation is to read a lot of articles. There are a lot of articles on on, you know, that you can Google published by law firms like mine that give a pretty good description of kind of some of the pitfalls that you might be looking for as you're getting started up. Uh, what, what's the saying? Uh, an ounce of precaution is worth a pound of cure. As soon as possible, at least form a relationship with an attorney who, uh, sure, you might not be engaging them to do all of your copywriting and everything else, but at the very least, somebody that you know that you can reach out to and ask a question to. Our firm really prides ourselves on the fact that, um, look, you know, I can't give my services away all day, but I answer a lot of questions, especially, you know, when it's not explicit legal advice, but more just a discussion. Because the expectation is that, look, if I take care of you right now with questions that you might have, there's a good chance that when you do, you know, gradually grow and you have a legal budget, we'll be able to work together down the line. So um, there's that. There's also firms like mine, and it's something that we're actually working through um, right now is trying to kind of disrupt the classic um, legal fee model. You know, oftentimes legal fees have been 
you know, you pay per tenth of an hour increment to me and my hourly rate is, you know, this astronomical number number. Well, guess what? We're now working on putting together packages of services that are easy for you to be able to figure out exactly what the end cost is. If it's a, you know, a copywriting matter, we're able to discuss, okay, for this amount, you get this package and these are the services that you can acquire. And then it makes it easier for you to be able to kind of figure out, okay, this is how we need to budget in order to be able to afford having the representation that we need. Um, unfortunately, with copyright matters and the like, there isn't a lot of uh, of indigent uh, <laughs> legal services because the expectation is if you're worried about copywriting, you're probably doing something, yeah. you know, going to generate some profit for you. And so, sure, the lawyers are going to try to dip their hands in your pocket as well. But, um, you know, so indigent legal services, you're going to have a lot of, you know, eviction attorneys who, you know, on the other side, they're representing the tenants. You're going to have a lot of folks, you know, willing to step up, you know, for criminal defense and that sort of thing. There's not such a big market of that for copyright and trademark because the expectation is, hey, look, if you have something that's valuable enough to copyright a trademark, you also realize the value in protecting it. And so, you know, you're going to pay. You'll pay for it, right? Yeah. But, but there are firms. There are more progressive firms like mine that are moving away from the traditional big law model of I'm going to bill you hourly for everything I possibly can to, hey, look, you know what? We'll help you out when you're at a small scale in order to be able to continue to help you as you develop and as your legal needs grow and, and the profitability for us also increases as, as it goes along. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. Well, thanks. Uh, let me open up real quick, Cameron or Tim, any other questions uh, questions for Mick, either uh, legal related or, or golf game? Um, <laughs> I need a lot of help with my golf game. I'm even worse than Carl, so... <laughs> Oh, I, oh, hey, Cameron, go easy on yourself. I assume that means you've killed someone. <laughs> well, when I did go golf with our father, he did hit me standing next to him. So <laughs> I guess it runs in the in the family then. <laughs> I guess we need to have a conversation about the physics of golf. That would do well. Well, um, no, I was going to say I, I've worked with um, branding a little bit. And oftentimes when you contact a or you get a new brand that comes from like a graphic designer, they will stipulate what colors and fonts and everything that you can use. I'm guessing now since our conversation um, would be because that is what they've essentially copyrighted or trademarked trademarked right exactly and the other thing that they're doing there they, they, they trademarked it and oftentimes if you're dealing with a branding company or, or a marketing company like that they're creating the, the trademark for you before you can receive the finished product and as part of that trademark registration they're discussing the font used the colors used um, all those different things they build that into the trademark so that when they deliver you that finished product nobody else can rip it off from you Okay. Uh, Good that's, that's guessing because like some of the stuff I was like, man, I just really don't like this color. But now I'm like, it's like one of seven colors that we can use. So. <laughs> yep. Good. Good question. Thanks, man. Tim, did you have any questions for Mick? Yeah, I, I got one question here. So with the um, the current kind of lockdown situation, 
A lot of schools are in hybrid or full online mode. And so teachers are creating a lot of online content. Um, I, I wasn't able to listen to the first part of what you were saying, but do you have any general advice for for people in education who are now pulling stuff from online, making movies, making videos, um, you know, what things should they watch out for? Are there any special um, allowances for education purposes? And what advice would you have for teachers who are creating stuff online? Sure. So um, educators, oftentimes we're talking about public school teachers. Um, I, I believe that a public school teacher falls into a government employee um, description. And therefore, those things created by, by the government, government employees, as part of their jobs are not copyrightable or protectable. So that might kind of head you off at the pass on that question in the first place. Um, if it's something that you're creating outside of your employment time um, and that you just happen to use for the purposes of your classroom, um, I would say make sure that you kind of keep a log of when and how you created that and the fact that it wasn't during your time specifically as a government employee and it wasn't solely for or required by the role that you fulfill for the government if you want to be able to you know have a copyrightable interest in whatever it is that you've created um that's one of the areas where there is no copyright available is for government employees that's that's one of the big blocks so something created by you know an employee of the department of transportation um as part of his job is public domain and you can use it however you need to there's no copyrightable interest in it because it's created by the tax dollars. And the, and the content that the teachers use, so if they, so that's the, the content that they create, that's not copyrightable, but the stuff that they consume. So if they grab like a movie clip, that's kind of covered under fair use because it's for education. Right? Exactly. Yep. So there's no profit to be made on it. Um, it's for, and that falls into those other exceptions as well of in-person, you know, face-to-face -face or, or, or digital um, education. So yeah, it's, it's most likely very well protected within those exceptions. So, so teachers, we've got a bit of latitude. I'm probably not going to want to play the entire, you know, all, all of remember the Titans for my class. Right. But, um, you know, man, honestly, Tim, I think you're probably still going to be safe. And this isn't, I'm not giving you legal advice. This is not, this is a hypothetical, but I think that in that instance, you'd likely still be okay as long as you can attach it to some educational purpose. And there's the question, right? It's good education to play the whole movie for my kids. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's yeah. this question of if Disney is suing a public school teacher, that's probably not exactly good PR. So. Agreed. <laughs> Ooh, that would be exciting, though. <laughs> How much fun? Yeah, I'll get involved in that one. <laughs> there we go. I'll see if I can make it happen, Mick. I'll give you a call if uh, if I get anything going. I'll come on down and watch with you guys for sure. <laughs> I'll bill you for though. <laughs> there we go. That's right. <laughs> Start the clock. That's right. Cool. Well, thank you, Mick. Uh, once again, uh, so Mick's, Mick's law firm is Focus Law, not so just to be clarified, uh, PH. Basic Phoenix. It's like Phoenix Focus. So P H O C U S. Our website, uh, focuslaw.biz, P H O C U S, law.biz. Um, 
feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or if I can help you with anything. Mick at Focus Companies, M-I-C-K at FocusCompanies.com. And my office number is 602-457-2191. We represent um, folks throughout Arizona and California. So pretty wide range of who we can assist. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Mick. Um, I'm going to go pull down a number of my (laughs) – just kidding. I'm not pulling down anything from my podcast. I didn't do anything (laughs) illegal. I did. Yeah. Nothing that can be proven. That's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, great. Well, we'll uh, we'll sign off here, and uh, we'll uh, see you back again next podcast. All right. Thanks, Jess.